I'm Keaton. I'm Laura. So we are combining three of the things we love, podcast and then story and breakfast. And specifically, we're looking at the biggest story. We tend to read the Bible like it's something boring, um, a little more mechanical, when in truth it's full of all kinds of complicated characters and plenty of room for the imaginative. Uh, we're hoping that this could open up the way we read these stories, that we would see the people in them as real people and that that might help us connect to maybe God is real too, if the characters are real. We're going to look at a bunch of different stories in scripture and just ask the question, what did they eat for breakfast? And what did they want to eat for breakfast? And we're also just going to talk about what life felt like for them in the hope that maybe we'll see ourselves in the story and we'll see a real God moving through real people. We're calling this the breakfast translation. So I do want to start with a, a breakfast update Okay. that I, I publicly whined on this podcast about how they might have stopped making special K chocolatey delight. Oh, maybe on episode, episode one or two early on. Yeah. I talked about how that was my favorite. And then a, a few weeks went by where I couldn't find it anywhere. And I felt sabotaged by uh, some invisible they who had stopped making my favorite breakfast. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I went to the grocery store and there was special K chocolatey delight. So I was wrong about that, which brings us to, you know, we're going to talk about being wrong. Yeah. And so I'm just starting right off with something I was wrong about. Also, uh, one of our listeners was kind enough to bring some special K chocolatey delight uh, to Southbrook church really? uh, with my name written on it. Oh, so thoughtful. I felt very honored by that. And um, also that's, that was the long game of this podcast was free cereal. <laughs> yeah all of the so, special content. Yeah, this will be our last episode because the game is up. Fun. I got that free box of cereal. Well, I'm <laughs> glad that they had it in stock again. Yeah, it is quite the relief because it was really thrown off my day to start with any other kind of breakfast. So, so did you buy it in bulk or did you just say, I am going to trust that the day is no longer out to get me? That's a good question. I did. I did buy two boxes uh, <laughs> because sort of in the middle. yeah, I am my mother's daughter. And so I did have a little bit of a thought of maybe I should just get one extra box. And then I got that box from somebody kind at the church. And now I have, I have multiple boxes of, of special K chocolate delight. So in the event of an apocalypse, I, I do have at least three works worth, three weeks worth of cereal. So I'm ready. Bring it on, America. Um, the ocean was on fire the other day, so you never know when you might need that cereal. Yeah, get ready. <laughs> Fuel up. So we are in Acts 18 uh, to 19, and we are, I think we've talked about this a couple times, how, you know, some people really migrate towards story. And so Paul's letters are not as exciting to them, but Acts is really the backdrop of those letters. And so just in these two chapters, we get to meet uh, the communities uh, that Paul writes letters to, uh, one being Corinth, where he writes First and Second Corinthians, and maybe some other letters that are lost to history, and also the city of Ephesus, where we get the book, the Ephesians, right? And so we get to know some of his, his people there, like some of his connections, maybe the people that he had in his mind uh, when he wrote these letters and including some of his best friends. So right away in Acts 18, we meet uh, Prisca, sometimes called Priscilla, and Aquila. 
and we learn some, that they're tent makers, which Paul also dabbles in tent making, um, which was not just like an outfitter, like like camp, like you know, glamping or whatever. It was, it was like canvas. It was the kind of things that you might put over your house or put over your space in the market. Um, so they worked leather and whatever other materials people needed to make these big awnings or. Um, we know that they're hospitable. I think we've talked before just about how in their marriage, uh, they become people who seem to kind of work in harmony. Um, so I want us to, to sit here with Prisca and Aquila here for a minute. Did you get any feel for them about what they might have had for breakfast? Um, not, not necessarily. I, okay. I know you have some great thoughts on it. Well, my one thought is just that I think that they're the kind of couple who they have like a routine in the morning where they it's almost like a synchronized dance in the kitchen where you like make the eggs, I'll make the bacon. Right. And they, they maybe make just enough. And like, if they went out to a restaurant, they would like split a meal because he knows that she's going to eat his hash browns, you know, and he's always going to be able to finish her omelet. So I have this sense of them as being like one of these couples who, and not that that's always like the healthiest thing. It's this super <laughs> synchronicity because uh -huh. um, you could also be an individual and be in a, in a good marriage. But I do have a sense that they, they're always named together. Uh, and also they're all like Priscilla is often named first, uh, which means likely that she's the person who, when you walked away, you had maybe a greater sense of her than Aquila, mm. um, which is maybe unusual in an ancient world marriage right. uh, where the men were the people who went out and about and built relationships and were often the source of income. Um, but you get a sense in their marriage that Priscilla has a voice and we're going to see her use that voice. Uh, also, I have some actual uh, food information. Um, so I'm not just speculating on, on their breakfast routine. But there has her has the source right in front of her. Right that's now. right. It's an actual paper book. Uh, that's a, a novelization of Priscilla's life and a scholar named Ben Witherington, the uh, third. Yeah, not to be confused with Ben Witherington, the second or the seventh, the third Ben Witherington and not end up a scholar. That's right. He was built for it. So he wrote this book that's um, trying to kind of imagine the world around uh, Priscilla which again, identical to our work, I think we're, you know, we're, we're also the thirds we're, we're, we're distinguished in our craft, I believe. Um, but he has a, a, a moment in the book where they actually go shopping and he kind of talks about, remember when we, um, that, that open air market, like the idea of going somewhere, getting a few days supply. So he talks about them going and getting meats and breads and fruits and figs and dates and all these things he actually talks about them buying apparently fish pickle sauce is something that was available in the ancient world your pancakes yeah uh i know part of that uh sounds good to me not the fish not the pickle not the sauce um but i'm sure there are some people who might really enjoy some fish pickle sauce in the morning he also talks about them stopping at a baker's uh, and this is actually really true in, I remember learning this at least about Ephesus, that there are a whole bunch of bakeries. Uh, it talks about them buying pastries at the bakery. 
which is a good sign. I also remember that in Ephesus, there were more brothels than bakeries. Okay. Um, so however much bread people had, um, they still need more places uh, to do the kinds of things you did in a brothel. So uh, I, I just thought that was interesting that they did buy pastries, that, that, that they maybe did have something that was like a Pop-Tart. Right. Where it was like bread with fish pickle yeah. sauce inside. And how delicious would that be? Yum. <laughs> yeah. So actual facts about what they might have had uh, for breakfast. They're, they're rare, but, but they are available to us. So in this story, we just get a little bit of hint. Uh, Paul's life here, he, he works and seems to kind of mix his life in with Priscilla and Aquila while he's in Corinth. Um, and we do get a picture here of him going into the synagogue, which is his normal thing that he does, right? Right after he eats fish pickle sauce in the morning, uh, he goes to the synagogue. And like a lot of his trips there, it's a frustrating trip. Right. He gets so mad. It says that he's so tired of them not being as excited about the story of Jesus as he thinks they should be, that it says he, he shakes the dust from his clothes. He says... I'm done. That's right. And this has a, you remember, you said you read Luke, right? This is actually a thing he gets from Jesus's instructions that sometimes you're going to go into a neighborhood or into somebody's house and you're going to tell them this story and they're not going to be into it. He says, and when they do that, just kick the dust off your feet. <laughs> like, uh, and so he gives permission uh, to his followers to do this sometimes. Uh, but what do we know about this moment for Paul? We know, what do you mean? Like, we know that he's been frustrated for a long time. And yeah. so he's probably like feeling, feeling over it at the time. At the time. But we know, so we know that it's temporary. Right. Because then almost immediately, it says he leaves the synagogue. He goes next door, <laughs> which is so dramatic, right? Like I kick my the dust off my feet. Like, it's a little funny that he just goes next door. We talk about how there needs to be more funny things. Yes, that's one of them. I think that's just a little bit funny. And when he goes there and he meets a guy named Crispus, who is an official in the synagogue. So it's like he does this dramatic exit. He storms out. I quit you. I'm never coming back to the store again. And goes next door and meets an official Hello, in the synagogue who's actually really into the story of Jesus and becomes a believer. And so I just kind of love this story because it is a very human picture of Paul. Um, he just cannot quit mm -hmm. this, this pattern of hoping that the Jewish people will be ex excited about the story of Jesus. Uh, I wondered if we could like connect this to our own story. Do you have anything like that where you've tried to quit something and you, you kicked the, all the dust off your feet. You were real dramatic about it, and then it didn't stick. Yes, but my return isn't as noble as Paul's. Okay. <laughs> mine, is, mine is the very classic tale of I want, I want to be on TikTok less. I got to the <laughs> point where I said, I am, I am done. I told people I was done. I deleted the app. Yeah. Maybe, maybe three days later, I do the shameful return to the app store. To right. <laughs> yeah. And then do you have to re-enter? Do you have to like find your password and all that yeah. stuff to make so you admit it? So there's shame steps afterwards because then you have to say, 
oh, forgot my password, send it to, <laughs> send it to my Gmail, log into my Gmail. So it's not just a, oh, whoops, I went back on for a second. There's installations happening. There's passwords being sent. Yeah. I suspect that you're not alone in that phenomenon, mostly because I see it all the time. And I, I especially love when people publicly proclaim that they're kick, they're Yay. kicking social media's <laughs> dust off their feet. They're never coming back. And then the next day that post is deleted and in its place is something new <laughs> about some great fish pickle sauce they just had that day that they have to share with everybody. Right. Um, so I think we can all kind of connect, connect to this. Um, I think it's also true on deeper, deeper levels. Um, if you've ever tried to like quit a friendship, mm-hmm. you know, or like, if you've ever just found something to be like an unhealthy space for you, but you still hope for what it could be. And so you just go next door now. Like, I think, I think we can all kind of connect to that even on a, a deeper level. Like I'm going to stop hoping that this will be different. Um, but how hard that is uh, in actuality. Right. Um, I do that even just with my, I mean, this isn't deep, but just with my phone, right? I try to like set it in the other room. <laughs> uh, and it is so hard. There's like muscle memory. It's actually picking up your phone. There's all this science around why we do that. Um, so then when you consider how hard it is to adjust our actual relationships with people. <laughs> right. Um, or even to go into a thing and say, I'm not going to act this way anymore. Like when this person does this thing. I'm going to respond in a brand new way, right? Yeah. Classic. And yeah. Then, and then finishing and saying, I, I did the thing. I yeah. Away. I said the, said the thing I wasn't supposed to say. Yeah. It's, it's near impossible, which I think is why we get a picture here. Uh, right along the story, we get a picture of Paul praying and, and the God coming to him in a vision where he just kind of tells him like, don't be afraid. Uh, I'm with you. Um, you are going to find people who are my people. Um, and this is actually a thing that Paul's going to continue to write to Corinth about are these visions like this. He says this really beautiful thing in second Corinthians about how Jesus keeps assuring him that his grace is sufficient for him and that his power is made perfect in his weakness. So I think the word for us is that in that spot where you're ticked off back TikTok app is <laughs> like you just need God to come alongside you and that God's power could be made perfect in your weakness. I think that's the that's the message here for us, maybe. Um I buy it. <laughs> uh so it goes on. Uh there's a few different stories here. We meet another person uh who is a big player in the early church, uh, a guy named Apollos. Uh, is Powerful in, name. Yeah, it doesn't it just sound like that? And also, so in his letters, Paul is going to call this guy a super apostle. And oh, that's <laughs> yeah, I can never tell when Paul says this if he's saying it sarcastically. I I would love the idea of Paul saying the super apostle. Yeah, you know, he's one of those super apostles. Uh, like I don't know if they had an equivalent of like quote marks. But I wonder if, like, maybe even, maybe he's adding quote marks when he says that. Uh, But we do meet this guy, and it gives, like, a descriptive 
Uh, picture of him. He was an eloquent man, well-versed in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with burning enthusiasm. Um, and this is the thing that Paul will say about him. Like, he was so eloquent. Uh, and I do think that he, I think he had like a strong jawline, is my sense of him. Uh, it could just be that his name is Apollos, and that that reminds me of superheroes, and that that reminds me of all the guys named Chris who play superheroes. Yeah, I think that that has to play a role. Yeah, <laughs> so that's who I picture. And so as we learn about this really eloquent guy, uh, did you see anything for him for on his breakfast menu? Uh, uh, I mean, Apollo, you're eating uh, the heavy meat lover's breakfast. <laughs> okay, yeah, maybe he is like the Michael Phelps where he has to eat like 3,000 calories or something just to but stay so based on based on his name but I do think names carry weight <laughs> that's right maybe just yeah he's got to keep because I think he had muscles like I think he would be like if he's preaching in the synagogue he's going to be like let me just step out and he's going to do chin-ups you know like right before <laughs> he as they do yeah he right before he preaches from Isaiah he does like 100 chin-ups mm -hmm. um so I imagine him as one of those people who has like smoothies but with additives you know, like he adds in some protein and stuff. Right, some whey powder. That's right. And there's a, there's a little bit of a funny dynamic with Apollos because there are all these, they're not actually in the Bible, but there are these letters that kind of have been preserved in the ancient world that give us an actual physical description of Paul. Have you, have you ever heard of these? Do you know anything about these? I heard he's not necessarily handsome. Yeah, which is, we have to be be careful here because Paul's family could be listening. And I, I said not necessarily. <laughs> In a conventional way. the And Paul himself talks about this. Like he contrasts himself with the super apostles, right? That there are these guys in the church who seem to be extra eloquent and who people very naturally migrate to them. Maybe it's not even a matter of looks, but of charisma. And so when he describes himself, he contrasts himself with them, that he's different from that, that he, he is, has a more humble stature. And there was a guy named o Onesiphorus, 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 Onesiphorus. Um, again, the rule is read with confidence, but I don't always follow my own rule. Uh, and this guy uh, describes Paul as a man small of stature with a bald head and crooked legs uh, with eyebrows meeting and nose somewhat hooked. Uh, and then it says, but he's also full of friendliness. So this is the ancient equivalent of he's got a really nice personality. He's really cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which that's actually not something Paul's known for. He's also known for being like kind of abrasive. Like whenever people write these novels of the ancient world, so whenever Ben Witherington III sat down to write his Priscilla novel, uh, or when Paula Gooder wrote that good book about Phoebe, they all kind of talk about Paul has been kind of abrasive, like he's not afraid, right? And we know that he has, he used to murder people. So friendliness isn't like the first thing you think of, maybe when you think of somebody who used to persecute the church and go door to door, like trying to haul out all the Christians. Yeah, not even um, the second. Yeah, so it's hard to say how accurate Onissa, Onessa Forrest, Onesiphorus's description is. Um, but again, Paul himself hints at having like bad eyesight that when he reads something. So if he's reading from Isaiah at the synagogue, he has to lean in because he doesn't have great eyesight. 
so just he he describes himself as kind of a humble figure. Uh, and in addition to that, um, so there is this dynamic, like maybe a little bit of a competition, uh, which I think is kind of funny because I don't know if you know this about the church, uh, but there's a little bit of a competitive edge in churches. Uh, you know, there is there are celebrity pastors. Um, I think have we talked about preachers preachers with sneakers on here? I I don't know. I don't remember. It's a an Instagram account where this guy just started uh, collecting images of preachers with super expensive shoes. <laughs> And uh, very often they're like $3,000 sneakers or whatever. And so you get the sense that they're, they're super apostles. Right. Uh, that some of these guys are the, they're the people who look really good on image magnification. I think there is a trend of the, the need for uh, pastor types to do a lot of chin-ups. It's kind of a funny thing that's happening in the world of the church these days. And maybe the guys who are, have hooked noses and their eyebrows meet in the middle, not getting as many Instagram followers. And so this is not not just an old thing. This is a, a current thing. Yeah, absolutely. It leads into every area of living nowadays. Yep. Exactly. And so, but in addition to this kind of superficial um, tension, uh, there's also in the story, apparently Apollo's uh, he wasn't accurately teaching about baptism. So he was only teaching what John the Baptist had taught about baptism was that it was like a, a repentance. And he wasn't really teaching this, this fuller picture of baptism has an invitation to the spirit of God to kind of come into your life and, and gift you in brand new, powerful ways. And so it tells us that our friends, uh, Priscilla and Aquila, take him aside and explain the way of God to him more accurately. And this is also, uh, so in these two chapters, this actually happens twice. Um, Priscilla and Aquila correct Apollos on this. And then Paul, when he's going around in Ephesus, he finds this same problem that there are, there's a community of people who have not been taught the fullest possible picture of what it means to be baptized. And so Paul has to kind of correct them and give them like a fuller picture of what it could mean for the spirit of God to be really close to you and to be empowering inside of you. And so I just thought it's worth us kind of pausing there uh, to talk about what it feels like to be corrected. Yeah. And have you ever That's had that? <laughs> yeah. So it's, a, it's amazing. It so Everybody fun. loves it. Everybody responds to it really well. Yeah get to uh, grow from it <laughs> yeah just see it as an opportunity no. uh yeah do you have any good stories of being corrected and handling it perfectly Great. yes <laughs> recently I um got to champion this project at work um and I was submitting I work for a construction company so I was submitting a construction project we built and finished up for an award and the person that I was that led the project was very passionate about it. I'm very intimidated by him. So I worked on the submission very hard, read it, read over it again, made sure it was perfect. The very first thing on the list when I got my feedback back from him, it said project name. And I said, Keaton. <laughs> <laughs> 
stood out in red ink and wrote, um, no, that's not the name of the construction project. (laughs) That was humbling. (laughs) I was pretty, I was mad at him for it too, which was a really healthy response. Yeah. I think that's like just thinking about what happens inside us, right? When we do something like that and uh, what do we do? We're, it's, we want it to be that person's fault. Right. Yeah. Did you feel that? Like it has to be their fault first. Yeah. I, I looked back up on the submission website and I said, there definitely was something wrong with the website on which I was filling it out rather than it being me making that <laughs> mistake. Yeah. I think that's a pretty universal human thing. And then that, that thing that settles in your soul when you realize that the person is right. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you realize that you did, you did make a mistake. Yeah. And, and then especially, I think it's, it's so important, although it, it hurts so bad, but to like publicly acknowledge that, you know, is a growth moment too. The other uh, healthy thing that I did was I, pr- I printed it out and hung it on my, my workstation wall. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so that I'm reminded every day and everyone yeah. knows. <laughs> I feel like the ultimate revenge would be for you to someday get them to name a construction project Keaton. Yes. yes. And then you can have that sweet redemption of mm-hmm. filling in project name. Yeah. Not even first, not even my building. first and last name as if I was the submit. I don't know. Yeah. Silly, silly oversight. <laughs> Do you have any stories like that that might make me feel better? <laughs> well, I had a very similar story of having to fill out. Like when my parents died, I had like hundreds of pages of things to fill out. And I thought I had done them all right. And then getting them back, like there were two times where I just signed my name in the wrong line or I didn't feel, you know, so I had a lot of that. And every time I was so mad and was convinced it was somebody else's fault. Um, but the one I thought of first was I actually can't, this is, <laughs> it's always good to tell a story that you can't actually tell, but I can't, <laughs> I can't say it because the, the problem is that I was, I was speaking at, at church at Southbrook, uh, our, our host for the podcast, I was speaking and my parents came and I said something that was hurtful to um, a group of people and I didn't catch it as hurtful. I was kind of talking about like being in competition with people and running into this person that I had who had been mean to me in high school and running into her years later and feeling like I had won a competition against her because of, of something. And if I told it, it would be hurtful to say it again. So I can't really tell the story except that my dad said, I hope nobody in your church, I hope that doesn't also describe them because you just said you're better than them. Uh, does does this, this story make sense without yeah, me telling? I think I have enough yeah. details to sort of put together. Yeah, I kind of said that I was better than a group of people and that I had won this race basically against this person I went to high school with. And my dad very gently said, I, I really hope you're, you're not also describing somebody who's sitting in the church because you just said you're better than them. Mm-hmm. And it was, he was so right. Right. He, like there wasn't even any room for me to defend myself. And I think it was a big deal to me because my dad didn't do that very often. You know, he was not a person who was regularly, unless I was trying to play golf with him, then he would try to tell me a lot of things to do. And I would tell him to stop doing that. But for the most part, he was not a person who, you know, he was not like an overparenting parent. And, and I knew that it also was a reflection on him. Like, cause you know, he had been, in that like he worked three jobs for most of my life and he worked them like he was very faithful and worked very hard and did it all for our family but I think he he heard me it also felt insulting to him Mm. um 
So it was a, yeah, it was a real learning. And like, yeah, there was sounds a, really vulnerable. Yes. And so a lot of times, like when I am in those other situations where I've done something wrong, I remember that moment and be like, no, sometimes I am wrong and I need to, to sit in my wrongness. Um, I actually have a, a preschool report card uh, that says the feedback my preschool teacher offered my parents is that I'm slow to back down even when wrong. Oh man. Um, it says lots of other things in there about me being like a, a good, fun little person, but it also says that I was slow to back down even when wrong, which um, I've managed to keep with me uh, all these years. We all carry all kinds of things. <laughs> yeah. And well, I, again, it, this is one of my favorite things about the Bible. And I think we've talked about this a little bit is that it's not made of perfect people. The right here, just in these two chapters, we have a number of places where something needed to be refined um, and where people had like Apollos for all that we've done to kind of say that he just does a bunch of chin-ups and drinks smoothies with additives. He accepts this, you know, he accepts being corrected and it, it, it makes the church stronger for it. The people in Ephesus are open to understanding baptism in a new way. You know, like, so here they had had this powerful moment and thought they were in, and then Paul comes along and says, there's more to it than you know, and they accept that and are, and then something more beautiful opens up for them. And so I think I, I just love that that's a piece of the story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems um, to be a pattern, a piece that's a pattern too, of the idea of sitting, reflecting, and then shifting right. when necessary. And you would hope that that would characterize people who are trying to follow Jesus together. Um, I don't know that it always does because they're still human and we still have those, those defense mechanisms can kick in to all kinds of people. But I do think the implication here is that in the community of people trying to follow Jesus together, it should, it should be even easier to accept correction. Um, so there's a couple other silly things that happen in Acts 19. We have this one funny story about how any kind of handkerchief that Paul touches, uh, people are using that uh, to like do magical things, um, which if you've ever like back in the olden days, if you ever watched like late night evangelism, this was a thing of like selling magic handkerchiefs. Um, and it kind of goes back to this story. And we used to be able to buy Ziploc bags of air um, that Kanye breathed. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I really so just love like that. that. Yeah. Do you, did you think, do you think that it could perform miracles? Like, would you then open the baggie like on your broken ankle? For the, for the cost that it was at, I think that's, was the, that was the, <laughs> that was the hope. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, if, if he did breathe it out seeing Jesus walks, then maybe. <laughs> Because that's the whole idea, right? So then there's this other story where there are these seven sons of Sceva, uh, which was also a Christian band back in the day. It's a good band name. There are these seven sons who it says they're going around and they're trying to use the name of Jesus without knowing the story. And that one time they try to do this and the evil spirit they're trying to cast out in this name they don't understand is more powerful than them because they don't know what they're saying. Mm -hmm. And so the evil spirit like... Uh, it says overtakes overtakes them and leaves them naked and wounded. Um, 
So that's exciting. That's an yeah. exciting story <laughs> uh, there in the text. Uh, you said you you have something in common with the seven sons of Sceva, not to call you out and correct you, but you said you understand this story in a deeper way. Yes. When growing up, I went through a phase where I was really frustrated with this video game in particular. So I used to say, in the name of Jesus, I will win this level. <laughs> <laughs> Did it work? No, my character always died. So. <laughs> It didn't, my, my temptation of God didn't, didn't work out for me. Can you believe it? I can't believe it. I, I wish I didn't understand that, but I, I remember very, I wish I could black this memory out, but I remember once praying for Hulk Hogan to win a wrestling match, <laughs> which is funny. Cause there was only like a few years of my life where I even watched professional wrestling, but I remember being so devastated that Hulk Hogan might lose one night and, and, and doing like a same a similar kind of treating prayer like magic mm -hmm. um I didn't understand that it was all like you know prescripted I just didn't <laughs> didn't quite get that which that brings us back to whether or not prayer can change that is a very deep example things. yeah <laughs> that, that is funny uh, I think also what we're getting at in these chapters is also like the the commercialization of this power right because right. They're also in Ephesus is going to be this huge run in with this guy named Demetrius, who is a silversmith, because there's this whole economy built around gods and sacrifices and idols. And we've seen this before where Paul, Saul Paul comes into a city, he preaches against idols, and then all of a sudden the people who are making a living off of idols can't buy expensive sneakers anymore. Um, and so we have a big long story about that. It actually causes like a mini riot. Uh, in the city. And I think it just shows us like what all, there's a lot at stake in the truth, you know, mm -hmm. and that people can make uh, money and a living, they can build entire cities and industries off of a misunderstanding. And I think that makes it even more clear, like why they need to correct Apollos and why it becomes so important that they fight for what they for the fullest possible picture of what the story of Jesus means. Um, so I don't know, do you see any, uh, we haven't done this for a while, do you see any invitation here in, in these stories we read? The invitation I see is inviting myself to, to kind of delve in deeper on why I'm resistant to being corrected. Yeah, yeah. I think we find good things in that space. Usually it's just hard to get there. Mm -hmm. what yeah. About you? yeah, I think it's that same thing of, of exploring why my first responses are defense. You know, and I think a lot of that, you know, it goes back to that feeling of being a kid and being afraid you're going to get in trouble or, you know, I think sometimes those things are buried deep inside us, like why we're so afraid of that. Um, and I think maybe our misunderstanding of what grace is and how available it is to us mm -hmm. is maybe a piece of the story. I think in all that, when we're working so hard to like figure out who's wrong about the thing, we miss the chance to practice forgiveness. Um, I think I run into that all the time, especially it's work stories are, I think it, it happens in friendships and relationships, I'm sure all the time too. But there you almost like have to work it out. Like, especially if it's like somebody you're married to or living with or somebody you're connected to for life, you almost have to work it out. I think work, it can be almost easier sometimes to like, just let that be the pattern. Right. And just keep on, you know, defending 
and not accepting that correction. Yeah, so that's their problem, not my problem. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's a, that's a pretty big deal. Um, here in these, in these chapters for us. Uh, I think our next episode is actually going to be an interview uh, with Claire Brown. We're going to, we're going to have kind of a breakfast casserole episode. Uh, but then uh, for people who are reading along with us, which we hope we, people are, our, our next episode where we talk to the, the book of Acts is going to be kind of long. Mm -hmm. uh, because in like in 20 through 26, it's just a whole mess of speeches. It's like a whole season of law and order, <laughs> um, just where Paul gets shuffled around the justice system. Uh, he has his eyes on Rome. His whole idea is to get to Rome somehow and to tell the story of Jesus to that culture and to that city. Uh, and so we're going to find out if he gets there. It's a pretty big deal. Uh, but if people are reading along with us, we're going to, they got to start reading. They got to get in there, dig through these stories. Um, one thing we're going to see that I think is, is important is how the story of Jesus becomes Paul's story that he tells, that he doesn't just tell Jesus' story, he ends up telling his own. And so we're going to get into that in these next chapters. Uh, thanks for being with us on uh, the Breakfast Translation. We hope that uh, whether you're having fish pickle sauce or chocolate cereal or smoothies with additives, whatever your breakfast is, um, that it is an important meal for you and that it starts your day off humbly I think is our hope today. Thanks for joining us on The Breakfast Translation. Who wrote the end of the story? Who found the last love for me? Who wrote the end of the story?